Well, this morning during our Bible study time, my subject and topic is to teach or not to teach. To teach or not to teach from James chapter 3 verse 1, which says this, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Let me just read that verse again. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. How many of you know what that is? That is a picture of what? (laughs) How many of you have actually never seen one of those in person? Is anybody here? Any of you young people? You've seen these? I'm looking at DeBose girls, Granham (laughs) family. Have you actually seen one of those and held one in your hand? It's a cassette tape, of course, that is out of date, obsolete. And this particular cassette tape, if I were to turn it over, says this, Greg's first sermon, (laughs) 8 of 85, People's Baptist Church. Maybe to zoom in a little more, you can see what's written there. What's that? Well, this, this is my mother's handwriting. This is my mother's handwriting. As a mother, she wanted a copy of the first sermon that I ever preached. And I'm fairly confident that she was the only person who asked for a copy of the first sermon I ever preached. Now, I have the actual cassette tape in my possession, but I took a picture of it to put it on this PowerPoint presentation rather than bring it here uh, because it might incite a riot of some folks who want to get their hands on it. Um, So it's at home, hidden at home. My children have never listened to it, correct? Okay, so I want to make sure. Make sure, that's that's true, right? (laughs) Okay. Um, And I'm thankful that it's in the format it's in because it pretty much makes sure that Probably no one's ever going to listen to it unless you have an old car with an old cassette player or some old, uh, as we used to call them, boom boxes back in the day. You notice the date on it, August of 1985. I had been a Christian for eight whole months. And the sermon was on the subject of the love of God. And it was truly from my heart as a new believer who had a desire to preach, but it was also truly a bad sermon. Just under 20 minutes long, if my memory serves me correctly, uh, I was 18 years old. And I was no Charles Haddon Spurgeon. (laughs) The fact is I should not have been preaching. No one examined my knowledge of the Bible. I'd only been a Christian for eight months. I didn't grow up going to church, listening to preachers preach sound doctrine. Uh, So I'd only been a Christian eight months. But no one examined my knowledge of Scripture. No one examined my qualifications to teach or preach the Word of God. No one gave me any direction about how to preach a sermon, how to prepare to preach a sermon. 
I was just allowed and even told to preach since it was my desire. Now, my desire was sincere, and it was sincerely focused on God's glory, but sincerity does not make good sermons. So I don't look back on that sermon with fondness. I look back and think I should not have been preaching as an 18-year-old with no real knowledge of Scripture, being only eight months in the Lord. At the time, I aspired to be a preacher and teacher of God's Word. But how I wish someone would have come to me at that time and said, have you considered James 3, verse 1? Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such, we will incur a stricter judgment. What a sobering verse that is. When James wrote it, it was meant to arrest the attention of the original readers. And it should arrest our attention too. James is emphasizing the serious nature of the responsibility of being a teacher of the Word of God. Not everyone, and not just anybody, should pursue being a teacher. And in the Greek language in which this was originally written, it's emphasized in that way. It begins like this. Not many teachers become. And again, you've heard me say this before in the Greek language. The word order is very important in some cases. And when uh, something is at the beginning of a sentence, it's meant to emphasize it. Now, we don't translate it that way in English because we don't speak that way. It's not our word order. But in Greek, it's not many teachers become. In other words, only some should become teachers. Comparatively, we might say that few should become teachers. Now, if you break up the verse, you could do it in this way. There's a prohibition and then a reason for the prohibition. And the whole verse is somewhat of a caution or a warning. So the prohibition is, let not many of you become teachers. And the reason is, knowing or because you know that as such, we will incur a stricter judgment. The prohibition calls for caution and hesitancy because of the fact that those who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, James, who wrote this, is not against a person becoming a teacher. This is an attack, or it is not an attack on teaching, the function of teaching, the gift of teaching. In fact, James himself identifies himself as a teacher in this verse. Notice he says, we, we, including himself, will incur a stricter judgment. But evidently what he was addressing is that there were too many believers who were aspiring to be teachers. They were rushing to teach when they were not yet qualified and didn't have the right motives. And so James wants to hit, maybe to use the cassette tape uh, analogy, hit the pause button before assuming a teaching role in the church. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren. 
knowing that as such, we will incur a stricter judgment. Now, let me ask the question, who is a teacher? So let's begin there. Who is a teacher? In a broad sense, we are all teachers in some way and to some extent. For example, grandparents are teachers. Deuteronomy 4, or parents, I should say, and grandparents. You can tell what I have on my mind. (laughs) Parents and grandparents are teachers. Deuteronomy 4, verse 10 says, Assemble the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children. So, in Deuteronomy, it speaks of parents teaching their children. In Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 to 9, it says, And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall become frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So here again, we see that we are, as parents, teachers. And in that context, it even speaks of teaching your grandchildren as well. Deuteronomy 11, verse 19, again, emphasizes, you shall teach them these commandments to your sons. The book of Proverbs speaks of parents teaching their children. Proverbs 1, verse 8, my son, hear my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Proverbs 4, verse 1, hear, O sons, the instruction of a father, and give attention to that you may gain understanding. Ephesians 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so we are to be teachers. Parents are teachers. Grandparents are teachers. We want to impart truth. And that is done by verbal instruction, by teaching them the Word of God. So in that sense, in a broad sense, parents and grandparents are teachers. We also see in Scripture that uh, there are women teaching women. In Titus 2, verses 3 to 5, older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. So there they are teachers, As a part of who they are, the outflow of that is there's verbal instruction of what is good. And it goes on to say that they may encourage or teach and train the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be dishonored. And so here we have women, older women, teaching What is good, teaching, training, encouraging younger women. It gives even a curricula, so to speak, of what is to be taught. So we see in Scripture, broadly speaking, women are are to be teachers. They are to impart truth to younger women, to the next generation. And there's a sense in which every believer is a teacher. We are a community of teachers who instruct one another, who admonish one another, who correct one another and who disciple one another. 
In Romans 15, verse 14, it says, And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish one another. You're able to instruct and teach and even correct when necessary. And so, all believers are teachers in some sense. Colossians 3 Verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. How? With psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so we, we've emphasized in the body of Christ, our singing is instructive. What we sing when we worship together in that way, when we lift our voices, we're lifting them to God, but we're also teaching one another in that context. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you also are doing. How do you do that? With the Word of God. You're encouraging with God's Word. You're building others up as you instruct them with God's Word. Speak God's Word to them. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. So again, this is what the body of Christ does. So in that sense, all believers informally are teachers. So parents are teachers. Grandparents are teachers. Women teaching women in the church. We see that in Scripture. Believers exhorting, encouraging, instructing one another. And so in that sense, broadly speaking, we could say we are all teachers of the Word of God, at least informally. But there is the formal role of teaching. One who is identified as a teacher. Here in James 3.1, it's called a didaskalos. A didaskalos. We get our word didactic from that. If something is didactic, it is something that is instructive. It is teaching in nature. There are certain didactic portions of Scripture. There are narratives uh, they give us information about history and, and events, but then we speak of certain passages being didactic. It comes from this Greek word didaskalos. And that speaks of one who is a teacher, who explains, who expounds upon, who instructs from the truth of the Word of God. A teacher teaches the content of the Word, the gospel, sound doctrine, and instructs others to put it into practice, to do what it says, to obey it. Now, a little bit of historical background as you read through especially the Gospels, you'll see that there were Jewish religious leaders who were called teachers. They were didaskaloi, the plural form. Um, in John 3, verse 10, Jesus spoke to Nicodemus as he came to him by night and he said, Are you, Nicodemus, a teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? He was formally a teacher in his role of Israel. These, uh, they were called rabbis in the Hebrew word. We, we get the word rabbi from it. They were experts at the law, so to speak, and yet they were often ignorant about what they taught. Jesus was called a teacher, a didaskalos, numerous times in the gospel, gospels, almost 50 times. And so when Nicodemus came to him, he said, Rabbi, teacher, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs unless 
God is with him. And so often Jesus would be spoken of as rabbi, teacher, because of his teaching ability. There was no doubt that he was a prophet. In fact, they would not understand, and many would though, eventually he was the prophet that was promised. A teacher was highly respected, and the function of a teacher was highly respected. Jesus said in Luke 6, verse 40, A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. So it was a highly respected office, you might say, a position in Israel and in various other settings. A teacher had pupils, and he was responsible to train them in whatever the subject matter was. They were to be his disciples, so to speak. In the New Testament church, there were those who were recognized as teachers. In Acts 13, verse 1, it says, Now there were those at Antioch in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon. And it names some of those prophets and teachers, The Apostle Paul was called a teacher. He identified himself as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth, 1 Timothy 2, verse 7. He said he was appointed as an apostle and appointed by God as a teacher, 2 Timothy 1, verse 11. Timothy himself was a teacher. He's instructed by the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 4, verse 13, Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. And of course, when you look in the New Testament, pastors and teachers are given by God for the spiritual good of the church. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, Ephesians 4, verse 11, to build up the body of Christ, to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. Elders, pastors are called to be able to teach. That's a qualification, 1 Timothy 3, verse 2. And they're to work hard at preaching and teaching, 1 Timothy 5, verse 17. But there was also just the gift of teaching in the church. In Romans 12, verses 6 and 7, it encourages those who have the gift of teaching to to do so diligently, to exercise that spiritual gift. And so teaching and the role of teachers in the church was an important function because truth and sound doctrine are important to the church. And The role of teaching and instruction in the Word of God is necessary for the body of Christ to be built up. And so when James says, let not many of you become teachers, he's not talking about the broad informal sense in which we all are teachers in various contexts. Parents and grandparents to their children and grandchildren, women to other women, all believers encouraging and instructing and admonishing one another. No, he's speaking more formally of someone who would undertake a role of teaching in the church, whatever capacity that would be, more formally, teachers in the church. Now, to help us understand the verse even further, consider the context of that verse, James 3, verse 1. First, consider the immediate context. When you read through the book of James, it appears almost like the Proverbs that he changes quickly from subject to subject, and it it sometimes may seem unrelated. 
And while this verse, chapter 3, verse 1, may appear to be unrelated to the rest of the book of James, it really is not. James 3, verses 1 to 12, is about the tongue. And in verses 2 to 12, James addresses the sinfulness of the tongue, the power of the tongue, and the necessity of the proper use of the tongue. And this instruction about the sinfulness of the tongue, the power and and the proper use of the tongue is preceded by this pithy yet sober warning to those who would seek to use their words, their tongues, to become teachers. So the connection of verse 1 to verses 2 through 12 is that teaching in the church is a function of speech and the use of the tongue. The tongue can be used to teach truth, or the tongue can be used in sinful ways. The tongue can be used for instruction or destruction. The tongue can be used with godly motives and used in righteous ways, or the tongue can be used for selfish motives and in sinful ways. And so the immediate context is important to understand. And James is saying to everyone, as he then gets more broad in verses 2 to 12, we will all give an account for how we use our tongues. All of us, our speech. For Jesus said in Matthew 12, 37, for by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. And so James 3, 1 is in that context of the use of our words, our speech, Not to use our tongues for sinful purposes, but for godly purposes. One commentator said this, The power of speech is one of God's greatest gifts to men. And believers must be on constant guard against the perverted use of this mighty gift. James relates the control of the tongue to the Christian teacher and then to the believer generally. Teachers, since their ministry is a ministry of words, teaching, therefore, is a a serious responsibility. So James gives this sober warning to those who would aspire to be teachers of the Word of God. But consider not just the immediate context, but the broader context of the book of James as a whole. When you get past verse 12, look at verses 13 to 17. James 3, verses 13 to 17. Who among you is is wise and understanding? Let him show his good behavior, let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where there is jealousy and selfish, or where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. So one of the issues that was taking place in the churches that James is addressing is what's mentioned there: this jealousy, selfish ambition. Those who claim to be wise claim to have great understanding. They thought more highly of themselves than they ought to. And then that led them to be selfishly ambitious for the wrong motives to seek to become teachers. And so there's a lot of self-centeredness 
and ungodly motives is taking place to those to whom James is writing. It was the source of conflicts and quarrels among them in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. And therefore, in chapter 4, verse 6, he says, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So when you look at the broader context of the book as a whole, evidently many were seeking the prestige of teaching. There were those who wanted the authority and recognition that came with being recognized as a teacher in the church. The Apostle Paul dealt with that in the book of Philippians. There were those that he said proclaimed Christ, Philippians 1.17, out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives. And so evidently there were these who were self-proclaimed teachers. They were rushing to become teachers, but for the wrong motives. They wanted to be teachers of the Word of God, teachers of the law, as it were. But their motives were not godly. And so James warns them, let not many of you become teachers. A little behind on my slides here, apologize for that. So when we consider the context, we see another reason for the caution. We have to examine the motives of our hearts for why we're pursuing it. Is it selfish ambition? Or is it because God has given us a spiritual gift that then we want to use for the good of the body and the glory of Christ? And so we consider the context, and it helps us understand that this really isn't an isolated verse. And we understand the need for this warning and caution and hesitancy to rush to become a teacher in the body of Christ. But consider also the caution itself. The caution itself. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren. With teaching become, comes responsibility. And with responsibility comes accountability. And therefore, knowing that as such, we will incur a stricter judgment. So consider even more thoroughly the caution that's given here. Let me put it this way. Teaching the Word of God is a dangerous occupation. We think about hazardous jobs and hazardous occupations, those who work in settings in which their physical health could be in danger for whatever reason. They're, they're working around things, equipment, and with materials that, that something could go wrong, an explosion, something could go haywire, and it's a dangerous situation. I think of those days, maybe the pictures you've seen of building the the skyscrapers in New York and the construction workers sitting on a beam, a steel beam. Uh, it, was a, it was a hazardous occupation. They're eating lunch up there as if uh, they're just sitting on solid ground. But teaching is a dangerous occupation. Why? Because of the potential of leading people astray, the potential of hindering their walk with Christ, and thus incurring some judgment from God for, for being a stumbling block with your words and your teaching. And so James says it this way, there's something you need to know before you rush to become a teacher. You should understand that teachers will incur a stricter judgment. As I have already said, knowing the participle there in the Greek language 
could be translated in this way, because you know. It's because you've considered something very seriously that you don't just rush into it. You want to be sure that this is what God has called you to do, that, he, that you've considered the weightiness of what you're doing. Because you know that as such, we will incur a stricter judgment. And again, James puts himself in this category. He humbly understands that he too is accountable to God for his teaching. So he says, we will incur a stricter judgment. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is talking about believers. That each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We will all give an account for how we have lived as Christians. However, certain responsibilities carry with it greater possibility of judgment. Again, one commentator says this. Stricter judgment implies that they have not faithfully fulfilled the duties of the work that they rashly assumed. Judgment will be according to the principle that increased influence. Uh, excuse me. Judgment will be according to the principle that increased influence means increased responsibility. The greater the impact upon others, the greater the accountability. And so... There should be somewhat of a hesitancy. This is why I brought up my desire to to be a preacher, a pastor at a very young age, but, but then rushing into that, stepping behind a pulpit and opening the Word of God at such a young age and unprepared. There was a sense in which I knew that I was accountable to God. I, I'd actually read the book of James. It just had not come to bear upon my soul to the degree it needed to. Again, my motives, as far as I knew, and as far as I know, were pure. I really wanted to, to use the Word of God to strengthen and encourage the brethren. But yet, I don't know that I really understood the weightiness of that responsibility. And so we all need to consider this caution. Whether we're pursuing some type of formal teaching, whether it's teaching children, it's not as though that's less responsible and less accountability. In one sense, we'd say it's even greater. These little ones who can be so easily led astray. How careful we must be, whether it's teaching a discipleship group, teaching a Titus II group, an upcoming men's covenant group, or some other setting in which we might sit down and teach the Word of God. We need to consider this caution. We also need to consider the responsibility. This is a great responsibility. Why? Because of what we teach. Consider what you teach. When you teach, you're teaching the Word of God. We're not teaching some how-to class, um, how to make a particular meal, um, you know, something, I don't know, you know, there's all kinds of things on YouTube, the how-tos, and, and you know, if you're doing something, you look it up, let me see how-to, and, and, and if you find a guy who says, do it this way, and it didn't quite work out right, well, it might not be that big of a deal, but consider what you're teaching. You're not teaching, for me, putting in floors recently, we're not teaching about how to put down a a vinyl plank. We're teaching the Word of God. 
All Scripture is inspired by God. He's the source of it. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And those who would undertake this responsibility must be diligent to present themselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. So so before you accept a responsibility formally to teach the word of God, Consider what you're teaching. And do you have the knowledge of God's Word that you need in order to teach? Do you understand the weightiness of what it is you are teaching? But also consider who you teach. When we undertake that responsibility, we're teaching believers in the church. Those who are the objects of God's love and kindness in Christ. These are those whom Christ loves and protects. They are His sheep. They are His people. And so when you just think of that, sometimes um, I'll say this when I speak of, of, of a congregation. I'll use it a little bit this morning when I preach at 1030. And I'll speak of not just people and individuals, but souls. Because when you speak of people as souls, or you pray for people, and you're, you're praying for their souls, it brings in the focus. We're talking about eternal matters. We're talking about people. And in this case, teaching in the church, those who are the objects of God's love and kindness in Christ. So, so it's good to just consider the weightiness of that. But also consider the effect of teaching on those who hear you. You can do them great spiritual good, but you can also do them great spiritual harm. So consider the effect. Don't lead God's precious children astray. In Matthew 18, verses 6 and 7, when Jesus brought these little ones, these children to Himself, He then began to speak of them in metaphorical terms. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble, he's now talking about believers, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. For it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to that man through whom the stumbling block comes." So consider the effect of teaching. It can do great good, and that's your goal. That should be your motive for God's glory and the good of those souls who are listening to you teach. But consider soberly that that you could lead them astray if you're not qualified, if you're not ready, if you're not prepared to teach the Word of God. And so when you consider what you teach, who you teach, the effect of teaching on those who hear, then you welcome a a caution. Let not many of you become teachers. I need to examine my heart, my motives, my qualifications. I need to prepare with this in mind for I'm going to incur a stricter judgment. I mean, think of this. It's very sobering. And I'm very aware of this through the years of preaching and teaching on so many occasions that I will give an account to God for every Bible study I've taught, every Sunday school lesson, every sermon I've preached, I will give an account to God. 
Whether you preached a thousand or two thousand sermons or whether you've taught five Bible studies in a small group setting, you'll give an account to God. We incur a stricter judgment. And so James is saying, don't rush to be a teacher. Examine your knowledge of Scripture. Before you become a teacher, grow in your knowledge of sound doctrine in order that you might accurately instruct and admonish in the Word of God. Examine your life. Teaching is not just about being able to speak and communicate God's Word. Our lives must match our message. We're to teach by example. God will judge hypocrites and He condemned the the teachers of of the Jewish people in that day who in some cases taught what was correct but didn't live by that same standard. So examine your life. And thirdly, examine your motives. Never seek to be a teacher of the Word of God for selfish motives. The ministry of the Word in any context is to be done for the glory of God and the good of God's people alone. Selfish motives should never enter into the pursuit of becoming a teacher of the Word of God. But then let me also exhort you, examine your teachers. What do I mean by that? Now, of course, I mean, examine your teachers. We're teachers. You should examine what we teach and, and our lives as we teach. But I want to speak just broadly in closing and apply these things to this as well. Examine your teachers. Who are your teachers? Who are your teachers? Now, in one sense, we can answer that. In this local church, you know those who are your teachers. We are those who are pastors, elders. We've been given the responsibility to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. That is part and parcel of the role of a shepherd, of a pastor, an elder. You may have teachers in a Titus 2 setting, some other Bible study setting, in which you know who your teachers are. But here's how I want to ask you this question this morning. Beyond that, in the local church that God has given, outside of the local church, who are your teachers? Who do you go to to receive instruction from the Word of God? I think it's important to ask that question. There are many teachers out there. And you have access to all kinds of teachers who can enter into your car with you, so to speak, enter into your home. And so we have access to many teachers. There's no shortage of them. And so be careful who you allow to teach you. God has given you pastors and other believers who teach in the church who, whose lives you can observe. We're, we're with you in the flesh. The motives of those that you live in fellowship with in a local church, 
Their motives are often discernible as you watch their lives, as you watch their ministry through the years. You get to know them. You get to observe them. You get to see their lives. And when it comes to, to pastors, God has said, you join a local church, you become a part of the visible church, and you're called to hear them and entrust yourself, in a sense, to their care. But, but with others whom you cannot observe, you just find them on the internet, you're Googling something, here it is, oh, here's someone, and now they become your teacher. There's less certainty, or little or no certainty, and assurance about their lives or their motives, I would say to you, you have to be careful. That's, that's a dangerous venue. Now again, please don't misunderstand. We are not saying that you should not have teachers outside of the local church. I have teachers outside of this local church, outside of my fellow elders who teach and preach the Word of God, and outside of, of others in this local assembly. But we have to exercise caution. I don't live in fellowship with them in a local church and and really see their lives. Now, there are some who are teachers that God, again, uh, in His providence and goodness, gives to the church teachers who have a more public uh, role, even in the universal church, that have been in ministry for years and for years and for years. And they're part of a local church and, and they're vetted, so to speak, there and you know them and they're trustworthy. But but there's so much on the internet that you don't know who they are. And then there are those who may appear to teach with right motives and be godly people. But I can just mention one name, Robbie Zacharias, who turned out not to be what it appeared to be. And how many others could be named? What is their motive? You don't know. They're, they're a face on YouTube or some other media. So be careful, because what James is saying is someone should be careful before they become a teacher because of the influence that has upon the hearts and lives of those who hear. So you can flip that around. Be careful. I think you can apply that. Be careful who your teachers are, because they will influence your life. They will affect your life. Teaching affects behavior and their teaching will affect your life. So who are the preachers and teachers you listen to? Who are the YouTubers you watch? And let me get on a subject that isn't always very popular. What is the music you listen to? What kind of Christian music do you listen to? Because it has an effect on your mind and heart. Remember, we teach with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so there are those who say we have a music ministry in the broader church, universal. Well, if, there's, if it's a ministry, it's a ministry of the word through song. So they are your teachers. And trust me, it has an effect. And so who are you allowing to teach you through the music you listen to? So I think we can apply it this way as well. Since there were in James' day, many who were rushing to be teachers, whose lives didn't match what they were teaching. In some cases, their motives were impure, their selfish motives, or maybe they weren't qualified and ready yet to teach. 
be careful then who you allow to be your teacher. Know something about them. Don't just hear a little snippet and say, oh, that was good, and now you begin to imbibe everything. Find out who are they, where do they pastor, what is their doctrine, what about their life? For preachers, teachers, YouTubers, podcasters, music ministers, contemporary or otherwise, be careful who you allow to teach you. So brothers and sisters in Christ, let not many of you become teachers. Let that sink in. The reason is knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word that you have given to us. We thank you for uh, the spiritual gift of teaching that Christ has given, the one who is the giver of gifts, that the Holy Spirit imparts into the church as well. We thank you for the spiritual good that that is, that in your, your wise design of the church, you give those who are responsible to teaching the word and that, Lord, as we minister to one another, as we, Lord, seek to make disciples, there are various settings in which formally we teach the word of God in local churches. And we thank you for that ministry, for it is the means by which we grow and are fed and we grow to spiritual maturity. But Father, I do pray that we would also know the weightiness of that responsibility. Father, I pray that you would, uh, Lord, in our congregation, raise up those who have the gift of teaching, those who are knowledgeable of the Word of God, who can communicate it for the spiritual good of your people to build up the body of Christ, those who should formally undertake that responsibility. But Father, I pray that would be after much prayer and preparation and knowledge of the Word, much consideration of the motives and the weightiness of that responsibility, and that it would be undertaken with much fear and trembling, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. And Father, I do pray that we would be careful who we allow to be our teachers and what we listen to. For Lord, it is so easy for the Word of God to be perverted or twisted and then to set us not on a path of righteousness, but unrighteousness. Not on a path of truth, but error. So Lord, may we be discerning as to those that we allow into our our hearts, our minds, our homes, our cars, through the internet in various ways to become our teachers. Father, we pray for those in this church, for, pray for myself, for other elders, for others who formally teach the Word of God. Lord, I pray we'd be careful in our teaching, we'd be diligent in our studies. Lord, I pray that we would be those who are humble before You, whose motives are Your glory, in the church and your glory in the spiritual maturity of your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>